Hi, and welcome to the HinghamCast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. The HinghamCast is hyper-local, looking at the pandemic, politics, and everything in between through the lens of one small town, my town, here on Boston South Shore. But the issues we explore are unfolding in communities across the country, like the calm or chaos after the storm. Okay, so tell me what we're looking at and what happened. Okay, so what we're looking at right now is the stump of a tree that fell on my house at 5 a.m. The entire front of my whole house was a tree wedged up against it. Rory Early describes the massive 100-year-old shade tree that came crashing down on our house in last week's storm. All the windows, the doors, and obviously the lines came down, power lines and cable lines. Um, The whole neighborhood went out because of my tree. But that wasn't the worst of it. So this is my basement. The sump pump is right there. When the tree knocked the power out, the sump pump in the Early's basement shut down. They didn't have a backup, and the rising Weir River at the end of their street was seeping in. Show me where you could see water. So this entire basement, which is furnished, there's a man cave and my husband's music equipment and turntables are in there. It was probably about a foot of water throughout the whole thing. It was literally like an ocean. I opened up the garage door and it was like a tsunami of water just flowing out. And you feel helpless because there's nothing you could do. I started bailing it with a Halloween candy bucket, but it was groundwater rising up. What went through you when you saw all that Fear and, I mean, I had a heart attack basically. I mean, because I know the damage that water does. And so I'm just thinking down the road, like, okay, we're going to have to rip up this whole thing. And dollar signs were like, oh, my God, there's so much damage. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Let's go outside. Okay. Just so we can hear each other better. Rory was stressed about the water and potential mold, but no one got hurt, and they have insurance. She called the agency to start a claim. What did you think about your insurance? Oh, I, I thought oh yeah, this is just all going to be covered. And the guy said, oh, do you have sump pump failure insurance? And I said, I don't know. Like, look, I don't know. And of course we don't, Um, which is like $35 a year, but we didn't do it. Because we just moved here two years ago from a high rise in the city. We didn't know anything about this stuff. So he said, okay, so you're not covered. And I was like, Okay, so like, what does that mean? Like, how do you pay me? <laughs> no, no, but seriously. <laughs> yeah, like, so what, so what are we going to do here? And he's like, oh, nothing. Like, we don't cover any flooding whatsoever. And it sounds like that was groundwater. You know, it just, it was whammy after whammy after whammy. So anyway, so that's not covered. So that's going to be an out-of-pocket uh, expense, which is really horrific. Rory has no idea what the basement flood will cost them all told, but knows it will be in the thousands and thousands of dollars. If you were sitting with an insurance agent right this moment, yes. what would you do differently, knowing what you know? I mean, ask more questions, do more research. You know, be a little less like, okay, where do I sign? You know, and just take the template that they give you. Like with my husband, he's a personal injury attorney, and so he is always talking about the insurance you have on your car, and like, have this, have extra this, da 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 So like, he, we know all about car insurance. <laughs> so now we need to look at homeowner's insurance a little more clearly. I want to take a quick break to ask if you like what you're hearing and want to support local journalism, follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share this episode or any episode with a friend. 
Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I want to bring in my next guest. Frank Doyle is the Vice President of Insurance for AAA Northeast. Hi, Frank. Hi, Ellie. Nice to be with you. And Barbara Targum is the Managing Partner at Dwight Rudd Insurance in Boston. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Allie. Thanks for having me. So as both of you know by now, Hingham got walloped in this storm. It was so bad. A photo of a smashed up Hingham house made the front page of the New York Times the day after. Trees into houses, fences, cars, lots of insurance claims. And some folks are finding out things they weren't prepared for, like they're not covered for something they assumed they were. And this is just the beginning of storm season. So first and foremost, Barbara, are you surprised to hear that? Yes and no. So I always want people to have a better sense of their insurance programs than they usually do when the claim rolls around. I know well where insurance fits on the, the laundry list of things that we all have on our plates. So I'm not surprised that people aren't aware of all the ins and outs of these policies. So Frank, how often should we be checking our home insurance policies? I think it's a good idea to consult with your insurance agent at least once a year and to talk to them thoroughly uh, about things that might relate to insurance. Remember your cars, your, your personal possessions, and also if anything has changed, it's good to have a conversation, pick a date you might remember, do it, do it once every year. Yeah, it's funny. It's not my area because I'm irresponsible, so my husband handles it, but I asked him and he's like, well... They're really nice and they send me something every year, but I, you know, he'll probably be mad. But I mean, I asked him specifically, when did you really last dig into our insurance policy? And he was kind of quiet. So I don't think that many of us are doing that. Yeah. Which means uh, it's been a long time. Well, knowing the Northeast and South Shore in particular, as you both do, Barbara, are there particular things we should be paying attention to? So, yes, when we're looking at a homeowner's policy, especially for a coastal community like Hingham, you'll see there are often two kinds of deductibles. There's a general deductible for non-wind related issues, um, and that, you know, typically we'll see anywhere from $500 and it can go up to $10,000, $25,000 deductibles for those. Mm. But then there usually is a special wind deductible for more coastal properties. And sometimes that deductible applies to any wind-related events, and sometimes it is carved out for just hurricanes or named storms. So that's one detail that we think is particularly critical for a community like Hingham. That's interesting, a named storm. Drill down on that a little bit for me. So if this is named and if this isn't a named storm, where do the coverage differences lie? So I think most people are going to find if they have this special deductible on their policy, it probably is a general wind deductible. So the events of this week would would usually qualify um, and that deductible would step in. Um, So that's going to be usually a higher deductible than what you think you have on your policy. So if you think you have a $1,000 deductible on your policy, you might find that this wind deductible is a percentage of your home's insured value. So if your home is insured for a million dollars, your wind and hail deductible is $50,000, not $1,000. And that's a deductible that I think a lot of people are discovering they may have following this week's weather. Oh, so that's the insurance company identifying you almost as a higher risk community. Correct. That's exactly right. Okay. So we heard from Rory, and I know you guys can't address any one situation specifically, but a lot of people in the pandemic finished their basements for home offices or to get their kids their own space. Any words of wisdom if you're finishing your basement or thinking of it? Here in New England, um, I, I often discourage people from finishing their basements. 
It's got nothing to do with how you buy your insurance, but no insurance is perfect at covering things that are in your basement. Mm. So many of our basements are prone to water. Mold is not covered by a lot of policies. Flood is excluded. You need a separate policy. It's tough to uh, have everything covered 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Barbara, what do you think about flooding? Flood has a very specific definition in insurance. It's water that comes into your home from outside the foundation lines and along the ground. And when we get a lot of rain that can accumulate quickly and seep into our homes, that is often technically a flood from an insurance standpoint. And floods are not covered by a typical homeowner's policy. You need to have a flood policy in place for for that to be covered. Well, if the horse is already out of the barn, is there anything people should be looking at to supplement that? Or are there things people should might consider if they've already done it this year? Frank? That's a tough thing to answer, Allie, to be honest. Because um, once something's happened, it's, it's too late just in general. Mm. Uh, you know, as a, as a homeowner, do everything you can to keep water away from your home. You know, have your downspouts, taking the water away from the foundation, that kind of thing. Make sure you have good drainage. And if you need a sump pump, make sure you have a backup for power mm. and then keep it off the floor, elevate it so that it's not going to be submerged in water if you have a problem with power. Hmm. Is there anything people can do to almost save money or, you know, get a discount on their coverage if they have any new technology or, you know, has anything changed from back in the day, so to speak, of this kind of insurance? I have seen insurance companies now start to provide a discount or a credit on homeowners if you have a water detection device in your basement. So going back to my advice about don't finish your basement, right? There are some devices that would, for example, ping your cell phone if there's now water in your basement or if your usage is extraordinary. Ah, For a leak. I had a $300,000 claim one time. Somebody threw a load of laundry on, went to Thanksgiving. Laundry's on the second floor. You know where I'm going, right? Mm -hmm. Right. They came home, the washing machine, the hose had burst, the water was flowing like eight or 10 hours, $300,000 later, the house was restored. So some companies are providing a discount if you have a water detection device that either shuts off your water or at least warns you about it. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's great to know. Yeah. It's it's kind of neat. And that's a a good innovation by the insurance industry. Okay. And there are also devices that will warn you, your home's gone down below a certain temperature, maybe your heat's off and you're you're on vacation somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to take a break here to recognize our media partners at the Hingham Anchor. You can put faces to these voices and see the damage to Rory's and other houses around town. It's HinghamAnchor.com. Okay, back to our conversation with Frank and Barbara. So, you know, we talk about additions and improvements that people have made during COVID. Lots of other things that people have made their outdoor spaces a lot better. Um, You know, we just put in a new fence And had it been damaged in this storm, I don't think we updated it on our homeowner's insurance. So how often do you need to make sure that you've let your insurance agent know that you've got, you know, a new fence or, uh, you know, an outdoor space you just put in an outdoor oven or, you know, whatever you might have done? Uh, Allie, in addition to touching base with your insurance agent once a year, if you've changed anything substantially in your home, it's good to call and ask. If you've put up a new fence, it doesn't fall into your policy. Typically, you're going to have coverage if that tree falls in your fence. Uh, From most policies, you should be in good shape there. Even if they didn't know about it? Even if they didn't know about it. Okay. 
Okay. Now, most policies give you uh, additional coverage for something like that, but it doesn't hurt to call and just tell them, you know, hey, I've done a certain amount of improvement at my house. Here's what it is. Uh, how would my policy respond? Okay. And what about outdoor spaces that you've just suddenly made swank? Like if an outdoor heater was, you know, damaged in the storm, if a fire pit got knocked over or toppled by a tree, would any of that stuff be covered under home insurance? Yeah. If a, a tree falls on something and damages it, generally you have coverage there. Okay. The more you're finishing outside in your house, the more that the comment about getting some advice makes sense. Barbara, anything to add? When we're talking about sort of outdoor enhancements to our properties, that lovely outdoor kitchen, um, you know, gazebo, even just, you know, a shed from Home Depot that you plunked in the backyard, most homeowners policies have some automatic coverage for these kinds of things. It's called other structures. Mm. And it's usually a set percentage of the dwelling limit. So most commonly, it's 20% of your insured dwelling limit. So coming back to that million dollar house that we all want to live in, um, you'd have $200,000 of coverage for any of these other structures. That includes hardscaping. So even your driveway and your front walk, mm-hmm. patios, um, anything that's detached from your home, but kind of tangible like that, stone walls and things of that nature. So you may well be covered. Now, if you've invested more than 200000 or whatever the 20% amount is, you should notify your agent or your your insurance company about that to make sure that you have enough coverage. Mm. All right. I'm going to move on to the age-old question. Neighbor's tree falls into my house or vice versa, but who's responsible for the damage done by a tree that's coming off another property? It is an age-old question. Um, So (laughs) usually... It's considered an act of nature or an act of God, depending on how you want to think about it. And um, it is the responsibility of the person who now has the tree on their property. Mm. The only exceptions that we see are if there's a clear case of neglect. So Mm -hmm. the tree owner, um, you know, let a diseased tree languish for much longer than any prudent person should have. Mm -hmm. In a case like that, there might be an opportunity to have the tree owner take responsibility, but most of the time that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because one friend I was talking to, they had damage to two cars and their house. Um, It was all from their eyes, the same incident, but their insurance agency told them they're all separate claims. So one car, one claim, one car, another claim, the house, another claim, and they have to pay the deductibles on each of them. Frank, does that surprise you? Not at all. Yeah. Insurance can be a little little structured, but inside that alley is an important thing. On your car or any of your vehicles, comprehensive is a very good coverage. And if your car is older and you're trying to save money, you might drop collision at some point. But it's a good idea to keep collision coverage even on a car that's older because it really gives you a lot of flexible protection. And if a tree limb falls in your car, it's comprehensive that you need. Even if your neighbor's tree dropped a limb on your car, it's still your car car insurance policy. Okay. Do rates go up on home insurance policy if you make claims? So if, if a neighbor's tree does fall onto your home and there's damage, is it the same thing as with car insurance? It's not quite the same, but any insurance company is going to keep an eye on um, how expensive someone is to insure and how many claims you filed is, is a direct part of that conversation. So 
part of what I encourage people to do is use their insurance for something that's truly uh, an emergency, a large expense that they uh, don't want to bear themselves. And in the meantime, keep your deductible as high as you can tolerate to hold down your premium. Uh, so if you have a small claim, think twice before filing it because uh, you want that homeowner policy to be there when you really need it, something that's severe, something that's uh, quite expensive, and you don't want to put yourself at risk. Never mind the price. You don't want to put the policy at risk by filing uh, several small claims. Got it. Got it. Barbara? So there are two things that can happen if you have a frequency of claims. One is that you can see your insurance premiums go up. Many insurance companies will offer a discount if you do not have any claims. And so once you are no longer claim free, you can lose that discount on your policy. Mm. And then if there's a real pattern that an insurance company starts to see where you're filing a number of similar claims, and almost all insurance companies provide their coverage on a voluntary basis, and they can volunteer not to do that in future years. And then it can be trickier to get new insurance if you have been canceled for a claims issue like that. Okay. Now I'm just going to hit you with little things and you can give me the lowdown as best you can. Um, Power goes out. You've got a fridge full of food. You've got a freezer full of Walden meats or, you know, whatever farm you've been ordering through for the past year and a half. Can you claim any of that if it gets ruined with the power outage? If you have truly a freezer full of food that was quite expensive, you might want to consider filing a claim. If it really is moderate, I'd encourage a customer to think twice before they did. Mm-hmm. However, it's it's always fine to call your agent to ask, how would I be covered in this mm-hmm. kind of circumstance before you actually file a claim? Okay. So if you became meat hoarders like I am apparently become, then it's probably <laughs> worth checking out. Yeah. <laughs> but again, generally, I encourage people keep their insurance for when they truly need it. Frank, it's filet. Okay. So let's just get real. $25 a pound. (laughs) Okay. So what about things like temporary housing? If you have to go into a hotel or an Airbnb or something like that, is it kind of a similar story, Barbara? It is. I mean, usually though, if you are talking about needing to live somewhere else, if a tree has fallen on your home and you're looking at really significant damage, that's more of a catastrophic level from my perspective, and it's worth filing a claim. I think it's worth stepping back and really thinking about for things that are in the hundreds of dollars worth versus things that are in the thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Mm. So if you're looking at, gosh, I have a few hundred dollars worth of spoiled meat in my fridge, that's disappointing, but you probably can bounce back from that versus, huh, there's a gaping hole in my roof and I need to live in a hotel for six months. You should absolutely file a claim in a case like that. Let's pause here briefly to recognize a new sponsor of the Hingham cast. Framebridge at Derby Street recently came on. I'm a big fan. Low-cost framing with terrific quality. I had a bunch of things framed for the holidays. Supply chain will not keep me down. You can go to Framebridge.com or their new store at Derby Street. Use promo code Hingham. You help local journalism and get 15% off your first order. Okay, back to our experts and their insider tips. You know, I remember when I was having a baby and the doctor came in and was going to give me an epidural. And um, I was an investigative reporter. So I asked him how long he'd been on shift. He'd been drinking <laughs> or doing drugs. What are you asking your agent? What's the kind of, you know, what's the insider tip? 
or walk me through how you look at your policy every year. Yep. So I think the the main things to look at are the deductibles that we talked about. So what's your your general regular deductible level? Mm-hmm. And usually you can probably save some premium if you bump it up from where it is. And that's one one area that we often see is is an opportunity for cost savings and gets back to what we talked about with sort of self-insuring for those smaller claims. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not going to report the claim anyway, you might as well have a higher deductible and, and capture the, some of the savings. Frank, what do you think? Essentially, what I encourage people to do is think about taking care of their home in addition to insuring it properly. So don't always go down the path that insurance is the solution. It might be that you need to maintain your home in such a way to prevent a claim. Terrific. Terrific. Okay. What advice do you give people if they just don't think the insurance company's vantage point is fair to them? What do you encourage people to do? So- If they're working with an independent agency to engage their agent in that process and get their perspective, an agent should be an advocate for for you in a in a moment like this and be able to tell you whether or not the insurance company's response is reasonable. If it's a really significant damage to a property, then sometimes a public adjuster can be a really good option and they certainly are another way to see if there's a, a better outcome that's out there. So where would you, how do you, who do you find for that? Like, how does that work? I mean, if it's your insurance company that you disagree with and ultimately the agent works for the insurance company, correct? So where are you getting that kind of independent set of eyes? So an independent agent is going to be working with many different insurance companies. And while they do have contracts with those companies, they also have an ethical obligation to serve you as the, as the client. Mm-hmm. They are not in a position to make the decision as to whether or not the claim is covered, but they can absolutely step in to advocate for you if they agree that it should be covered. Frank, anything to add? You know, anyone is free to consult with an attorney, for example. And if it's uh, something complex and contentious, it's not uncommon that someone might consult with an attorney to uh, bring that other opinion forth in, in, in a legal way. Does it always have to be a legal battle? It doesn't have to be. The Division of Insurance here in Massachusetts is the body that regulates all of the insurance industry. So a, a consumer, in a short, can bring a complaint forward to the division of insurance. You know, as they see fit, it's totally open to uh, what the consumer would like to do. Let's pause here to remind you to sign up for our once-a-week emails. Each week, one subscriber wins a treat courtesy of our local businesses. Spa treatments, movie tickets, swag. Sign up at thehinghamcast.com. Okay. Back to the conversation and how to protect yourself in this recovery process so you don't get scammed. So I want to welcome my next guest. Her name is Jean Foy. She's the director of the Consumer Action Center with the public interest group MassPerg. Hi, Jean. Hi, how are you, Allie? Good, good. So when you hear a community has a really high level of need, as a consumer action person, what goes through your mind? People panic when there's trees down and broken fences and they need to take a deep breath and they need to say, who can help me? Who should I turn to? Who's going to have the answer to my questions on how I get this taken care of? Well, so often we all kind of use the same people, right? Like, who's your fence guy? Who's your roof guy? And there's 
a pretty big stress on the system. I mean, we're seeing on our Facebook community pages, the companies we typically go to are saying, hey, guys, listen, we're stressed. We've got all our regular customers. Now we've got all these new customers. It's going to be a wait. What's your concern if people start looking at companies they're not familiar with or a company that pulls up in your driveway and says they can take that tree out for you or fix that roof for you? What should folks look out for? I would be very cautious about using someone who knocked on your door, pulled up in front of your house, or touted themselves on Facebook as use me, I'm great. I think that once you get outside of that resource that you feel is vetted and and reliable, um, you need to take extra steps to protect yourself. So the first thing I would do is I would um, check out that company. I would go on to the Better Business Bureau. I'd see if there's any complaints. I would Google the business name with complaints. Meaning I would Google Allie Donnelly Hingham Tree Services complaints, add the word complaints and see what pops up. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, Another thing, um, some insurers actually have um, an approved contractor list. Mm -hmm. You definitely would be best going through that. Okay. Okay. And so- you know, I was a news reporter for a long time. I've covered plenty of scams and, and things like that. But what would you say should be red flags other than the Google search? What else? Red flags, high pressure tactics. You know, you need to do this now. Um, you're not going to find anybody else who can do it. So you should just hire me. People asking for cash deposits to save space on the schedule. Mm people asking for payment in full. I always suggest that if you're dealing with a contractor, I would ask for a driver's license and I would take a picture of it so you know who you're dealing with, where they live, and if they take your money and don't show back up again, you can go to the police and you can say, this is who took my money. Sometimes the biggest problem is the contractor just up and disappears and all the consumer has is a cell phone number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any contractor that's not willing to let you have a picture of their license, you may want to, that may be a red flag that you don't want to do business with them. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of seniors in this town. And, you know, I think of my own mom and older people in my life. What's the best advice to keep them protected? You know, I know a lot of times with seniors, they'll answer the door and, oh, he seemed like such a nice boy. (laughs) And, uh, you know, $40,000 later, what conversations should we be having with the elders in our community? You know, I tell seniors who come to me, just tell them that you don't have any money, that you don't have access to the checking account, that you have to talk to your son, daughter, uh, niece, nephew. It doesn't even have to be true, but it can buy you time to think about it and make sure that they're you know, the right person to use. Okay. Let's say you do get taken for a ride. Somebody took your thousand dollars and ran, or, you know, they did shoddy work and ran or whatever it is. Where should you be going first? Police? It depends. Police, if they took your money and they never came back, that's definitely a criminal matter. But if they came and they dropped off supplies, they did some of the work and they didn't finish it, Um, that's now considered a civil matter and the police would not be involved in that. 
In that instance, you would want to call the attorney general's office and file a complaint, and they could have one of their local consumer programs, which is what I run here on the South Shore, um, to try to reach out to that business and see if we can get them to come back and complete the work or refund the money. If they're a licensed contractor, you could file a complaint with the Office of Consumer Affairs and business regulation there. Um, they oversee the home improvement contractor program. They have an arbitration program set up for claims that are over the small claims court limit. Um, and they also have a guarantee fund that if you get a judgment against a contractor who's licensed and you can't collect it, you can access the guarantee fund up to $10,000. Oh, I've never heard about that. That's great. Okay. So yeah, it's a mass.gov slash OCA, you can, you know, find all the information on the program on the, on the Consumer Affairs website. What other important numbers should we have? Okay, so probably the most important number to have would be my number at Mass Park Consumer Action Center. I am the local consumer program that handles complaints for consumers who live in 23 towns on the South Shore and Metro West, mm-hmm. Hingham being one of them. So my number is 781 335 0280. Um, another good number to have is the Attorney General hotline. It's 617-727-8400. Awesome. I'll put all these numbers on our website as well. Great. Perfect. Jean Foy with Massburg, I thank you so much. Thank you. Many thanks to my podcasting partner, the ever-fabulous producer-editor, Kristen Keith. To Donna Mavramatis and her team at Maverick Creative for our beautiful website, course to you, our listeners. Thanks for being here. I'm Allie Donnelly. Talk to you soon. Bye.